To sum up real quick, we've gone through chapter 1 and 2 already. Uh, chapter 1 is lineage of Jesus uh, all the way through uh, chapter 2, which is essentially his childhood, right? So today we start at chapter 3, and Jesus walks into the scene, um, a, a grown man, essentially, and he's um, not quite yet started his ministry. Uh, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, and if you can't find one, there's probably one in one of the pockets in front of you. Um, let's turn to Matthew 3. And um, I'm going to read from Holman, Holman, I can't even say Holman, Holman Christian Standard Version, so I don't know what version you're using, so it might be a little different. So it starts from three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John himself had a camel hair garment and a leather belt wrapped around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. When many saw, saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming uh, to the place of of his baptisms, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Ab- for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the tree. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. So I'm going to pause right there real quick. Um, John, who we are introduced to as John the Baptist, at this point is fully on mission. John's mission is to prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. He happened to know that this arrival was going to be soon because the Messiah happened to be his cousin. First, second cousin removed. We're not sure which. Doesn't really matter um, to the story. But uh, let's continue from there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized... He went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son. I take great delight in him. This is the section I want to focus on today. I hope that this short discussion of the verses, uh, in this short discussion of the verses, I can point out a pattern that I want us to recognize for when God is moving in our lives. 
Then I'm going to follow up with a few stories from our life, uh, Debbie and I, and hopefully that can shed more light on this particular pattern in a more tangible way for you. The first thing to observe is that John is absolutely what I call all in. John had forsaken material possessions and was focused on traveling the countryside, preaching to the people about all their hypocritical religious practices. He was preaching, accepting confessions of sin, and baptizing the masses in preparation for the start of what would be Jesus' ministry. Even with all of this conviction and commitment, there's one thing for us to remember today. That is, even John questioned God's plan. This isn't the only time it happens. Actually, in Matthew 11, you can read, uh, also read how John questioned the path of uh, Jesus' ministry. John sent disciples to question Jesus' actions because, as with most other Jews, he expected the Messiah to be a conquering king. And Jesus had to correct him then, too. For comparison's sake, we're going to look at this in a cause-and-effect relationship as we go through. Uh, In the slide, I put uh, John's action. So we clearly have a need for God's response. John's action was to uh, question. But what's God's response or Jesus' response? And in this case, it's patient correction. Generally, correction comes in a couple of flavors. One is uh, a presentation of facts or truth that overrides one's current uh, mental state or beliefs or behaviors. Um, And it's something like, if you put your finger in a light socket, you're going to get electrocuted. It's a fact. You can't doubt that, right? Uh, And so that changes behavior. Jesus does this in that second instance of questioning where Jesus uh, gently corrects John by means of pointing to prophetic actions that he has performed that point to the uh, compassionate redeeming king as told in prophetic scripture. That's the demons being cast out, deads being raised, the sick are being healed. However, correction also comes in forms of gentle coercion. That's when sometimes we need to be convinced to try a better way or to do something at all. Sometimes without explanation. This is what Jesus does when he tells John at the beginning of verse 15 here, allow it for now. He does offer an explanation because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Of course, John's response to God in that moment is, At the end of 15. Then he, lowercase h, allowed him, uppercase h, to be baptized. That, of course, means that John, in his still unconfident, unaware state, took that step in faith to baptize Jesus. He didn't have all of the answers, but he humbled himself to take in wisdom and receive correction. Not only does God respond to this step in faith, but he responds in a big way, right? The heavens literally open up. God's response to this action is an unquestionable confirmation of his approval. The sky opens up, the Spirit of God descends down from heaven onto Jesus, and a voice from heaven acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. I will say no memory in mine have I ever received this kind or this level of divine confirmation, but I have received confirmations in my own life. Now, I could give more detail, uh, detailed accounts from Scripture uh, where this pattern is repeated. This includes Elijah after confronting the, uh, the prophets of Baal, and, the, and he runs from the Mad Queen, and uh, King David, who uh, 
after, after being placed into position by God, massively screws up in his adulterous and murderous relationship with Bathsheba. Yet God still provides him a way back to himself through repentance and submission. Instead, I want to share um, a story or two from our life together uh, that may provide a more tangible example of this pattern. As some of you may know, uh, we hosted an exchange student in our home for multiple years. Uh, it might surprise you, uh, or it might not, uh, that this wasn't an easy decision for us to make. Uh, Preston, on, uh, Preston, our son, was attending a Christian school in Plymouth. Uh, the school had a surge of exchange students, uh, exchange student applications, but they didn't have enough uh, host families. As a returning family, meaning we, we had been there multiple years, uh, we were contacted by the staff to consider hosting uh, a student in our home. Now, we saw this as an opportunity to serve, but this was not an easy decision for us to make. We already had a family who was staying with us, um, and so we had to pray about it and discuss it between ourselves and the other family member, uh, or the other family members, and uh, we weren't quick to move in faith. I mean, after all, we're already on mission, right? I mean, what more could we or should we be doing? Plus, um, could we afford to welcome another person into our home? It was kind of debatable. I mean, I had recently been laid off, and I was starting a new, uh, to renew my consulting company or my consulting gig, um, and to help with tuition expenses. I was already serving at the at the school, performing occasional IT functions like server maintenance and and updates and network uh, 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 network installations. Um, and, and in fact, one day when I'm on site, uh, I was actually pulled up, pulled aside by uh, the leadership, the uh, then principal of the school, and uh, he. he pulled me into his office, and it's like, oh, well, it's been a while since I've been in, called to the principal's office. So. Uh, and so, you know, he sat me down, and we briefly talked about uh, what it meant to be a host family. And, uh, and then he said, I, I don't know if you know, but uh, the program actually offers a stipend um, to, to the host families for the students' expenses. And, and of course, I didn't know this. You know, I, I had no idea. <laughs> and looking back at it, it's like, can you say gentle coercion? Right? Um, so this alleviated some of my worries. But, you know, uh, being a little slow, Debbie and I continued to pray about it. Um, and after some discussion uh, between us and then the guests who were staying with us, we all decided that our guests were, um, were somewhat prepared to move on. And, uh, and so we, uh, we made the decision to move forward. And from that point on, it all moved really quickly, at least uh, from the perspective of life change always kind of sneaks up on you and smacks you upside the head, right? So, I mean, it could have been weeks, it could have been months, but it seemed like minutes. Um, we accepted the request to serve officially, and the program sent over a, uh, a counselor for a home inspection and to educate us on the process. Um, and then a few weeks before our student arrived, our um, guest family actually uh, was able to move into a place of their own. We met the student and his parents on a, uh, a meet-and-greet on campus and then got to know them the week that they had arrived. Now, for us, our confirmation ended up being a little on the nose. When we bought our house, um, it was a gift box of fluorescent Crayola colors. Uh, we had painted most of the offensive walls, um, but the room our student would possess was a still very electrifying fluorescent green. 
Debbie and I had talked about the decor in the room, and we made sure that the, the furniture the, were neutral colors, you know, the dresser and the bed and the curtains. But we've kind of determined, we like had this um, just wonderful idea that we would let the students pick the colors on the wall and we would paint it for them so that um, they would have more of this feeling of ownership of this room that, you know, they, they'd never been in and, and, you know, this strange place. Um, so when we first met his family at this meet and greet, uh, we told them that uh, uh, he could choose whatever color he wanted and, you know, he could paint the walls and uh, and, you know, we would do it that weekend. We'd paint the room for him, and um, and uh, I just remember, uh, you know, because of course it's a it's a second language thing. So of course he goes to the side, and they have a quick conversation in Chinese, and he comes back. He says, "Just wait, then, just wait." I was like, "No, it's your room. It's okay." So on the day he finally comes to live with us, um, to move in with us, uh, he walked into his room. We reiterated the offer, told him that he could paint any color he wanted, um, and uh, just as long as it's not black. Please not black. Um, <laughs> but he, he, he looked at us, and he had this, um, this funny look on his face. And, and it was just kind of this puzzling look. And he looks at us, and he goes, no, I'm going to keep it. And we're like, no, no, really. Any, any other color is great. You know, just not black. We can do it this weekend. Not a problem. And here's the the crazy punchline that hit us in the face. He turns around and he goes, but I want to keep this because it's the exact color of my bedroom back home. God always, always has a plan. Our indecisive decision not to paint the room when we bought the house and then our decision to let this student choose the color were all intricate details in God's plan to show this man, this young man, God's compassion and love. Some of you know our, our student as, um, as Brian Shonghu. And as a permanent member of our family, he will be coming home for, from college this Thanksgiving with us. As you might have already figured out, this pattern I've been talking about, as with John's story and our experience, it didn't start with us. God had already put his plan into action. He started by creating opportunities for us to come along for the ride to be a part of his plan. So then our response must be to choose to see the opportunity and to take action. John chose to see the opportunity and act on it. He decided his, that his, in his life, let me try that again. He decided his life would stick to the plan of preparing the way for the Messiah and set forth without understanding all of the details of the plan. Being all in and on fire for Jesus does not mean that we have to know the beginning and from the end. It does not mean that we have to understand everything that's going on. In fact, most of the time, we're not at all prepared for the ministry effort that we have before us. God doesn't always prepare us for the ministry. He uses that ministry to prepare us. We 
We start where we can start. And we let God provide the rest as response to us taking steps in faith. Just as John was open to correction by Jesus, we also must be open to correction by Jesus. Sometimes that correction is inspiration from books or scriptures, but many times it comes from others who are on the same journey as we are. They have insight or ideas that help us to uh, prompt us to do things better, to make better decisions in our personal, personal missions field. So we have to be open to God's correction and to take steps in faith, putting faith into action. Both in John's case and in our own case, we recognized the opportunity, but we only saw the challenges to our actions. It was through God's correction and persuasion that we eventually moved into action. Remembering, uh, remember that we need to act. James wrote in James 2, faith without works is dead. In that chapter, he rebukes all of those who claim to have a faith in Christ, but don't show it through their actions. Additionally, in my experience, without action, you don't receive confirmation of a decision made. So we need to patiently await for confirmation of God's plan. John the Baptist received immediate confirmation of his faithful action to baptize Jesus. The heavens opened up and the voice of God affirmed Jesus as Messiah. For us, it was the expression of welcome home for our new family member. And at that point, we knew God was in the details. But that wasn't till weeks, if not months, after we had made that decision. Now, there's a final addendum to this pattern that we don't always recognize, and that's the eventual revelation of God's plan. We see this in those home improvement shows all the time. They call it the great reveal, right? It's move that truck, move that truck. The eventual revelation, not to be confused with the last book of the Bible, is the chance to see the plan unfold. We don't get to see the whole thing, but we do get a glimpse of how far in the future God has connected the dots. Or more accurately, we get to see how far in the past God had already been connecting the dots. So let me give you a uh, more recent example. My uh, final story here is a much longer story than we have time for. Um, so I'm going to, actually it's a collection of, of different events and stories. So I'm going to do my best impression of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, and I'm going to just sum up. Um, so I have a good friend, one of my closest friends in the world. Uh, I've known him since I was in my late teens, and I'm now very old. Um, and so he's one of the few people who have uh, known me through every phase of my life. He's witnessed my very messy, uh, very broken walk with Jesus, and all through the worldview of a non-believer. And that's something to put a pin on and for us to remember, is that our walk is always on display. Anyhow, um, he and I were partners in a consulting company. While on paper it was my company, we did everything, literally ran this thing as a partnership. It was an arrangement born out of our friendship and our mutual love for technology. He was uh, a mentor of mine and 20 or so years my senior and uh, had been in the trade long before I was. In fact, he's probably forgotten more about computers and technology than I have ever known. Um, and through his previous works, uh, he had owned a specific piece of IP or intellectual property. 
it had this potential to be great, but it wasn't well known and it definitely wasn't in demand. But our company was the gatekeeper for this IP. Because of this, I'd regularly receive solicitations from companies who wanted to buy or acquire this IP by both email, telephone calls, letters. <laughs> uh, and so as the, unfortunately the offers were always insultingly, insultingly low. And so I, as a gatekeeper, had the wonderful challenge of always just crumpling them up and throwing them away or hitting delete on the inbox. So this is around the last major recession, after the real estate bubble crash. Um, I was in the process of losing absolutely everything in the market crash, and I was about to start over in my financial life as well as my personal life. Uh, the only thing I still possessed was this struggling business. This is another story I won't go into today, but the end result of that process was my prodigal return to the family of God. Because God can use everything, because he always has a plan. During this time, of course, just like everybody else, um, my friend and I were both struggling financially. So one day, I get an inquiry from a small nonprofit organization wanting to access, wanting access to this IP. And of course, I honestly think, nonprofit, <laughs> there is no money in that. And so my first reaction is, again, let's crumple it up and let's hit delete and throw it in the bin, right? But for some reason, that still small voice, that Spirit of God says, hear them out. Dig into it. He tugged on my heart to hear him out, and so I did. And, uh, and then through an email, I replied to them that I would pass on their information to the IP holder. Through what my friend would call coincidences or the universe lining up, and I call answer to prayer, my friend ends up with a long-term lease for use of the IP. So he still owns it, but they're renting it. This provides just enough income for him to support his household so that he could semi-retire and focus on family and taking care of his health. So this is the first confirmation. It's clear. I listened. I obeyed. He moves. But we're not done. <laughs> A few years later, our small nonprofit friends are acquired by a much, much larger company. Through many super secret legal meetings and exchanges, uh, the IP is outright purchased by the new company. And while I can't disclose any of the details, I can say that my friend was able to easily retire very comfortably. For us, that was another answer to prayer uh, that we've been praying for him and his family. Um, I had been worried that when we moved, as they aged, they didn't have anyone close to them that would um, help take care of them well. So like before, the pattern is still there. Responding to a prompting from the Spirit, leading to a confirmation through answers to big, big prayers. But again, this is not the end. My friend now, with the proper means to do so, takes his family on a real vacation. You know, one of those where you travel and you're gone for weeks? So they've been gone for weeks, and at some point during their journey, a water line breaks in their house and floods everything. 
every room. Upon their return, the insurance company calls it a total loss. But again, blessings on blessings. Now with means, they're able to quickly find a new home, and they have a place to live. So, you know, Debbie and I are at this age, I won't tell you how many, how, how many ages, uh, where we have been worried about our parents as they age, as they go into the septuagenarian kind of realm. My mother has already had, uh, had been struggling with health issues, and uh, then later, last year, after we had returned from visiting our family, um, Debbie's mom has a health crisis. Of course, having just returned from California, uh, we can't afford to go back. There's just no way. We can't support our family. And all of those things that we had been worried about now are made super real and super tangible. And yet still impossible. If you aren't familiar with the housing crisis in California, um, what I pay for a four-bedroom, three-bath house here is literally half of what we would have to pay in rent for a one- or two-bedroom apartment. So it's not feasible. We've been praying and waiting to see God move in that area, all while asking our friends and family to pray with us. I know this seems like the longest shaggy dog story ever, but I promise we're really close. (laughs) So last month... Debbie and I went back to visit our parents. That's why we weren't here. Um, and uh, we're still hoping to find a way to support them. In fact, I had been trying to convince our parents uh, to move to a less insanely expensive state so that we could uh, move closer and support them. Um, but uh, alas, that's like pushing a boulder uphill, if any of you have ever tried. It's quite um, not necessarily impossible, impossible, but very Herculean. Um, and so that hasn't really moved much. But the last few days we're there, uh, I get the chance to reconnect with my friend. In fact, we do this every time I am, am, am back there, and uh, we decided to have lunch together. So he told me he'd meet me by the new house, and arriving, uh, he, run, he wants to run an errand before we do. Um, so on the way to lunch, uh, we stop by the old house to approve some uh, last-minute repair hit list stuff before construction can be signed off. So... For me, I didn't realize he still owned this house. Um, but for me, it's weird because it's a new version of this old home that I had been to hundreds of times. And so finally done, we head off to lunch. And as we wrap up before we leave the restaurant, my friend says, now it's time for me to screw with Gary's life. And so he offers us, or he makes us an offer we just simply can't refuse. So he says, I want you to take over the house. You'll make your mortgage payments to me at a rate that, if you look at today's rate, is incredibly generous and for a little over what we currently pay in our mortgage. This house that I've been visiting for over three decades is less than a mile from my parents' house and just across town from Debbie's parents. How's that for confirmation and revelation? Because here's the punchline. God always has a plan, and it's us up to us to join him 
by stepping into that plan. This is not something we could have ever done at this stage in our life. I had pulled myself out of the very competitive and stress-filled corporate consulting due to my own health issues, which also, while reducing my stress and my medical bills, cut our income in half. Additionally, we're still putting our, helping to uh, put our son through his last years of college, and there are various other financial challenges, so this was not possible for us. So clearly God is moving, and he's continued to answer prayer after prayer after prayer, and as he's doing so, Debbie and I are now being carried into this next phase, phase of our life together. In coming to Minnesota, in joining Clarity, and welcoming and caring for those who are not yet a part of God's family and making them a part of ours, God made the impossible possible, all because we chose to take steps in faith. I expect we have many more steps that we have to take, and uh, we, there's a lot more faith we have to act on, but there is still a lot more to do here, and I want to share that with you. I might run a little long, so I apologize for that, but I will try and get through this as much as possible. Before I do that, um, there is uh, three resources or three books that uh, speak to the uh, the being willing or open to see what God is doing and to the, um, uh, the act or, or the mentality of... Uh, of Everything that we have can be used for God's purpose and plan and taking steps in, in, in faith. Um, I'm not going to go into those today. You'll see those on the slide real quick, uh, but we don't have time for that. But if you download the notes, uh, if you go to uh, community resources, you can download the notes. If you're not a member of community, please join one. You can just get these off of that site then, and, um, and uh, then you have access to them. I'm going to continue from here, though. Um, so let's talk about opportunities. We have a church have new opportunities available to us right now. God has shown us a, a, a new glimpse of his plan, and we have an opportunity to take a step into that plan. We have been generously offered um, the use of ministry space. With this space, we have a launch site and a home for many ministry opportunities. Um, I, I have seen a need for men's ministry, a teen ministry, women's ministry, and possibly a young family ministry in our community. I don't see these as optional. I don't think these are a we could situation because we need to engage in gospel-driven discussion and learning on topics like what it means to be a biblical man or woman in today's world. We need to be having discussions on what it should look like to exercise appropriate levels of responsibility, authority, and leadership as members of God's kingdom in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, and beyond. We need to be training up disciple-makers so that we are prepared to go into the world and step into God's already moving plan. Additionally, the time to start this has to be now. Phil's already introduced us to the idea of relaunch and reset of our ministry efforts, and new visitors need a place to plug in. They need things, they need, they need programs, or not, I hate to use the word programs, but they need missions that are already figured out and already in motion. Starting a teen ministry when we get more kids is not the right time to start that ministry. We have teens, we need to be serving them. And finally, 
I don't have much time here, which is a heavy burden on my heart because I've seen the need for these ministries in, in our communities that Clarity members come from. So here's the ask. I'm going to put as much effort as I can in the next few months to launch a men's group at this new site. It is what I know, what I've been drawn to for the last 15 years and what I've done. But again, I'm on a timetable. So I need men who want to step up and join God's plan to grow as disciples. Additionally, it's been on my heart to create a teen ministry for over a year now. It's for the sake of our teens, yes, but not just for them. This ministry can become a landing place for large numbers of teens that Phil already has access to through Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Bibles and Breakfast events that he is already involved with. Some of these kids don't have a church home. And without our teen ministry running, these become extra steps on the ladder for them to engage with us. Third, and I know it's a shocker to all of you, I'm not a woman. I know, right? So I need women to step up and partner with us to lead our women's ministry efforts. Figure out, help us figure out what it is going to look like and how it's going to move forward. And finally, I'm not sure that that's something that uh, there is an interest in, but um, I feel there is a need. I'm not, I'm not in this category anymore, but I feel there's a need for young family ministry because we have enough young families here You know, new parents, figuring it all out, it's hard. It's real. So let us know how we can support you. Biblically speaking, us older parents, with experience, we're called to help raise up younger families. There is enough life experience and Bible wisdom available here that we should be engaging in. From finances like setting up a college fund for our, our kindergartner or maybe our infant, I don't know, and setting good boundaries to how, inf- how to put infants on a schedule. We have lots of experience here in what does and does not work or has and has not worked, I should say. We have done this before. Experienced parents, this is who we are called to be. And as an aside, I'll mention this again. When was the last time you had a date night, young parents? There are many of us who completely love your kids. I myself have absolutely offered to babysit your kids multiple times. (laughs) So there's an opportunity here. And I'm just inviting you as God's family to step into it with clarity. 